So when I first started off, we were closing big brands. They just weren't paying big dollar amounts. And then over time, you got to work your way up and then sell them on more and more and then eventually build a bigger base, right? It's land and expand. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. I have a huge, huge marketer, entrepreneur, and a longtime friend who's coming on the show to talk about some of the things we might not even consider as potential clients we could be looking to acquire that operate in a very different way from what you might be expecting when it comes to working with individuals, small businesses, and of course, I'm talking about the large corporations. Are there opportunities that most people don't even consider when it comes to closing contracts of values that are so much larger than a single entrepreneur and seeing what is the advantages of going for that kind of market. And the man that I'm bringing today is Neil Patel. Now, if you haven't heard of Neil Patel, you just haven't been exposed to the online marketing space because he is a legend in the field of content marketing, SEO, and really building SaaS companies, which are softwares as a service that really give the tools for entrepreneurs to be more successful online. If you're familiar with his firm, MP Digital, he works with these large clients and really getting them more traffic, more conversions, and making sure their presence is known and it supports the business goals at the same time. You might have used some of the tools that Neil has worked with, such as Kissmetrics, Crazy Egg, Hello Bar, Uber Connect. These companies have been used by so many entrepreneurs to be able to get their rankings up on Google, to be able to really get more traffic, and he is a renowned author as well when it comes to digital marketing, entrepreneurship, and growth hacking. There's so many things we can talk about with Neil while we have him on the show, so we will make sure that we have the best insights to help you work with larger organizations and maybe a little more too. Neil, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thanks for having me. I have to go down the history lane because I was just talking with you before we hit record. We've known each other for 10 years now, and you know, you've been on this online marketing space. I'd be curious to know, like usually I ask this for like really like gurus that have been in the industry for like 30 years. I'd say you've been probably active for about 15 now. What would you say are some of the coolest things you've seen evolve from the time we've met around 10 years ago to today in the space of online marketing? AI, of course, but that's a given that everyone's talking about. Another thing is there's so many more social platforms that you can use to get traffic. Text messaging, great way to generate more revenue as well. A lot of people weren't doing text message marketing back then. Funnels, people weren't focusing on funnels as much 10 years ago as they are now with the upsells and downsells to maximize the lifetime value of the customer. Those are some things that have been great to have come around. Analytics tools have gotten better and reporting has gotten better, which makes it easier to do marketing as well. So yeah, there's just a lot of stuff that's evolved over the years, but I always look looking at those charts, which shows the ecosystem of marketing technology available platforms for the average business. And every year is like exponentially more things are coming out there. Now, do you find it makes it more difficult to navigate the ecosystem given there's so many choices? Or do you find that there's clear winners in most categories that are evolving today? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot of clear winners in many categories. And if there's not a clear winner, there's like two or three clear winners, right? So it may not be winner take all, but depending on the category, there's in many cases, two, three, four big ones that are taking up the lion's share. 
Nice. You talked about AI, of course, that is the buzzword of the year. And so when you saw AI come around the corner and you were like, oh my God, like, were you already seeing how this is going to change everything? Have you been able to apply some very interesting use cases already? Yeah, we've been able to apply it and we've been doing it in things like analytics. So for example, imagine having all your data from different places. Now imagine being able to slice and dice that data and analyze where there's wastage, what's working, and giving insights to humans. And then humans go double check that data and then make actionable decisions based off that information, which then provides them a better ROI. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've been dealing with a few clients myself where it's like, this is the reality is like, we often find different platforms to solve different specific needs within the business. So maybe your e-commerce store is on Shopify. Maybe you're using these funnels like ClickFunnels or your online courses sit on something like a Kajabi. And then the payments get processed in various areas. But to make sense of the data, like you really need to add layers. You need to spend time to kind of massage it. And so what you're saying is when you use things like AI, you can actually quickly make some decisions on what to optimize, what to prioritize and find those cost savings. Correct. Yes. Nice. Now, I want to go into the whole sales aspect. Now, most of the times you are labeled as a marketer, but to go and close large corporate accounts, like I remember you had these back 10 years ago, which means you're definitely wearing a salesman hat as well. Is it something that you embrace fully? Like, do you consider yourself a salesperson? Don't really consider myself a salesperson. And people have enterprise sales wrong in many cases because it's nothing like selling to consumers or it's nothing like selling low ticket items. It's very different and it's not really, it's classified as sales, but it's not really selling. And it's usually not one person selling, it's a team that's selling. How did you make the decision? I'd be loving to like go back to when you started getting your first large corporate clients. Like what happened? Who was it? Or if that's available to disclose and like, how did that process go? It is available to disclose, but I don't know who my first corporate client was because we've had so many of them over the years. So there's two ways to look at it. There's big logos. And there's dollar amounts. So when I first started off, we were closing big brands. They just weren't paying big dollar amounts. And then over time, you upsell them into more and more money. But like we worked with a lot of big brands from like Cisco to Adobe to Microsoft. And literally the list goes on and on. CNN, ESPN, PricewaterhouseCooper, Accor Hotels, Hewlett Packard, Panasonic, Philips, like literally we work with so many big brands, they all kind of blend in after a while. Not because the companies are the same, it's just it's hard to remember all the logos. There's too many of them. Well, talk to me about that because you said that you went and tried to go and get the logo. So why is it so important when you get started in saying selling to businesses to go and work with these organizations where a logo will be you know, a great social proof? It's not necessarily the logo. They want case studies and they want to know that you work with other big brands. But what I meant with the earlier statement was that there's the logos and then there's the dollar amounts. Typically, just because you work with big companies, it doesn't mean they pay you a lot of money. And when I first started off, we we're closing the enterprise deals and they would start you off small. And then you got to upsell and get yourself more money by cross-selling, you know, selling more services, selling the same services to multiple divisions within that company, selling it based on regions because sometimes they need help in other countries, which offers more money. But you can sell these contracts into multi-million dollar deals. And in some cases, you know, deals that are even eight figures. The hard part with it is, is it takes a long time to A, build a relationship, B, to sell them, and C, to 
get a big enough dollar amount where it's really meaningful. Just because you're working with a company like Microsoft doesn't mean they're going to just instantly sign a contract for 10 million bucks. Sure, in a lot of these big brands, you can get million dollar contracts, 2 million even bigger to start off with. But a lot of the big corporations start you off small, whatever that may be. It could be a few hundred grand. It could be a few million dollars as small, depends on the corporate size. And then you got to work your way up and then sell them on more and more and then eventually build a bigger base, right? It's land and expand. Land and expand. And so when you went and landed deal nine, I know there's a huge amount of variability per deal, but I'd be curious to know when you say it takes a long time to kind of get your first contract versus getting the contract upsold or to a decent size, what are your usual timeframes that you have at the back of your head around making a deal successful? Takes roughly six plus months to get one of these big contracts. Could be quicker, but let's average it out six months. I'm giving you rough numbers. And it'll take another year for the dollar amounts to be more meaningful. That's interesting. So when you first got into making these types of sales, like, did you feel like it was necessary? And I don't know what was the structure, but had you raised funds to be able to sustain the operation since this deal cycle would take a long time? And I'd also be curious to know, like, what was the problem that you were planning to solve in these organizations that you felt like they're going to say yes to this? The reason it just takes a long time is there's just a lot of different layers. You got to deal with divisions and bosses and their bosses and then procurement and legal. It just takes a really long time to get it. And the reason we ended up doing it is the churn is lower. There's a lot of money in it. And if you do really well, you can, again, lend and expand and just get more and more and more. But I kind of fell into it as well because my background is more enterprise and consumer. I was never really a consumer entrepreneur. I find the majority go for the consumer entrepreneur because it feels less intimidating. I mean, going and learning how to sell to a corporate, like all these layers, everything you spoke about, the longer deal cycle. I mean, you're going to spend some time without having any of the cash coming in because you have, let's say, six months before closing your first deal. Oh, and then when they pay you, a lot of them are net 60, net 90. Some even try to get net 120. So then it really adds up. So how do you end up, you know, supporting, because I was asking if you had raised some money to support the initial funds, like if you're going to go enterprise, do you need to make sure you have at least a substantial amount of financial backing? Because it will take time before you get in. Or just don't spend as much money and do it yourself. So then that way you have more time before you, you know, get that check in. Mm. You can cut back on your burn, either you need cash or you just cut back on your burn. Mm. And so I also wanted to know, like when you went to these, because the first times you went to these organizations and you went to sell, I have a feeling this was maybe Kiss Metrics that you were selling. Was that the first enterprise product? Long, long time ago, I used to sell consulting services under a different ad agency. My first real business was called ACS. It was a marketing agency. We were tiny, a few million a year in revenue, but that's when we started off years and years ago. And we were working on selling to enterprises. Keep in mind, 20 plus years ago, contract sizes were much smaller, but that's how we started off. And it just took a while and got used to enterprise selling back then. And it just kept going. Okay. So this is what I find fascinating is you've started this agency. You're doing digital marketing and advertising is the core service 20 years ago. Were companies very receptive to going into that and spending, or was this like a, such a new field they didn't even know what was going on? No, they were really receptive to it. 
And so I'd be curious, why do you think they would choose to work with you when you were starting off? Because a lot of people have that start point. They're like, I don't know why somebody would choose me when there's big organizations out there that are so much more established than me. Why would they choose me? It was much new back then too, right? There weren't tons of big organizations doing the same thing. So right now, it seems like one of the gold rush opportunities, and I'm being targeted with a lot of ads around that, is to have these types of agencies that help with AI deployment within large organizations. If you were going to give consultation or advice to someone that maybe a new entrepreneur wanted to sell to corporations, would you suggest diving into that and kind of joining the bandwagon around AI? If you're good at it, sure. But what most people don't realize is, is a lot of these corporate deals are based off your reputation and your relationships. So if you don't have either of those two, it's harder to get those enterprise deals. It's actually not a lot of people cold calling to close these deals. When you're talking about large contracts, a lot of them are based on reputation and relationships and age of business. It's very rare for someone to just give you a big multi-million dollar contract if you're a year in business. You know, people don't want to hire you and then get fired for making a poor decision. I'm not saying it's a poor decision to spend that money, but people don't want the risk. You know, the old age saying you don't get fired for hiring IBM. If you hire someone who's really well known and they don't produce, you're still probably going to have your job. And that's a very interesting way to put yourself in the shoes of the buyer, because most people would think, oh, yeah, they just want to make sure they don't miss out on an opportunity. But what you have to realize in corporations is people want to look good from the decisions that they've made to bring you on board. What would be some of the activities I could do if I wanted to increase my reputation and be able to have some success, even if I haven't been in business so long? Speak at events, network, hire other people who are really well-known in the space, hire people who've been in your industry for a long time. That'll help increase reputation probably more than anything. Hire amazing people within your space that have been in there for a long time, and it'll give you instant street cred. Nice. If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. Neil, I know also that, you know, the core of your business is working with these large clients, but you do a lot of stuff when it comes to speaking to the entrepreneurs, to speaking to the other agencies. You create tools that don't necessarily get used by the large enterprise, but get used by the smaller business owners as well. And I'd be curious to know, what role does everything you do that is directly to the small entrepreneur and kind of the individual play in your greater marketing strategy? We mainly focus on the large corporations. So our tools, yes, small companies use them, but remember, there's not as many big companies out there. So 
percentage of the companies using them are large corporations. With speaking, we try to speak at events with large corporations as well. We try not to speak at too many SMB events. Nothing wrong with them. It's not our ideal customer. There's always so much time in the day. You know, I'd be sad if I never saw my kids and wife, if I took every speaking gig that I had the opportunity to. So we don't really try to market to the other side of the market, which would be the small and medium businesses. We mainly focus on just marketing to the large corporations. Would that mean that there is less incentive to be very active on social media or does that still play a key role to be able to build your reputation and earn trust? Yeah, when it comes to reputation, what I found, and there's many different ways to look at it and a bit hesitant to say it, but when you're working with a large enterprise, the reputation is based on the product or the service. And if it's service, it's the people who are on the account who are actually going to do the service. Like for example, when we work with LinkedIn, they don't care who Neil Patel is. They're just like, who at NP Digital is going to work on our account and what is their background? That's what people look at as from a reputation standpoint. The reason that I was asking is because I know you're very active on things like Twitter, right? Or any other social platform. And so I'm curious to know if it's more of the reputation of the team when you personally get very active on social and connect and use that as a platform. Is it more for, is it direct networking? Is it for having a large following that helps you close more deals? I'm just curious to know where do you see the roles of these social media platforms in helping you grow your business? Yeah, so I look at social media as getting your brand out there and ideally with your ideal customers. And if you can end up just being out there and appealing, creating content that helps your ideal customers, the better off you're going to be. But where people go wrong with social media is, let's say if I ended up creating content that's around, I've worn 122 outfits and this is the most optimal one that kind of content would go viral. And there's nothing wrong with that content. But that's not going to cause someone at Apple to go and hire me. But on the flip side, if I talk about how to leverage AI in your paid advertising to generate a higher ROI and expand your marketing campaigns globally faster, that's really niche content that's pretty much only applicable to enterprise corporations. And although this niche content the TAM, the total addressable market of those big enterprises really isn't a niche. It's massive. And then at least when you have that engagement, you're getting the right kind of engagement as opposed to fashionistas. <laughs> yes. Are you seeing that mistake happen a lot? Like a lot of people are trying to get themselves out there. And it seems like that whole like chasing the followers, chasing that kind of social number out there is overinflated, I would probably assume. And I'd be curious to know your opinion. And that gets you kind of lost into these kind of activities that don't even drive the single revenue. So that amongst many things, would you say is one of the biggest mistakes people make? With social media, yes, that's a massive mistake. People just care about followers. A lot of people do care about engagement too, which is great. But what they're not looking at is how many of those followers will actually turn into customers. Yeah. I always have this story I share, which is I was doing a similar post on both the Instagram, both on LinkedIn. And then it was a picture of me and I was just giving some insights when it comes to like doing more sales, doing them ethically, which is mostly what I speak about. And then I posted on LinkedIn and it was interesting. I had one comment, which was one individual was like, wow, that was very helpful. I look forward to your book coming out. I'm going to buy it on a release date. And I was like, that's awesome. And then I went to my Instagram and I had four comments and a lot of likes. And so I'm feeling all perked up. I'm like, this is awesome. And the comments were like, oh, nice beard, looking sharp. And I was like, 
huh, I don't know if that's going to translate into results, but it feels good to the ego. <laughs> feels great, but it's not going to translate into anything, right? And that's where people get it wrong. They just they optimize for ego, feeling good, social status, but what they're not optimizing for is revenue. And that's what we look at social is, is like, what's the real revenue? Hmm. We are now in 2023 as we record this, and you've been working with large organizations. You've been helping them with digital marketing, analytics, conversions. I know you've had so many amazing growth hacking tools. I can just think back of Hello Bar. I remember that was quite the innovation to generate a whole lot of leads. And this was maybe back in 2015, I think Hello Bar was out. And I'm curious to know, in today's landscape, are you seeing most organizations have started adapting kind of the direct response online marketing things that were quite cutting edge, I find, 10 years ago? Do you find that there's like a, a plateau that was hit in that industry? Do you still see there's major moves that could be done from the large organizations to adapt these technologies? I'm, I'm curious to see what the landscape is at that level. So you're saying how's the landscape change with like... What I'm saying is that I find that a lot of these technologies were really exciting, growing, and large organizations were usually trailing when it comes to adapting these types of technologies. Most of them have adapted the technologies. A lot of those old technologies also don't exist anymore because there were features. People now focus on buying products that were platforms that can do everything and they focus on integrating them. And a lot of large corporations have already adopted them. Mm. And so with now, is it the the fact that AI rising is going to be the biggest thing to disrupt again the entire market? And given that you're very, because SEO has always been a big part of your kind of niche content expertise. I've seen some crazy AI tools that are really pumping out a lot of really great quality content that seems to be shaping the SEO world in an interesting way. So I'd be curious to know about that industry and what's going on. few things. So one, a lot of the content that these SEO tools are producing are regurgitated content, not SEO, these AI tools, sorry. And if you think about it, you know, Chad GPT's index from 2021, Google Bard is a few weeks old. And what they need is really unique, fresh content. Even if the content is well-written, people don't want well-written content. They want well-written content that's on something new and exciting instead of reading the same old stuff over and over and over again. There's a little poster that's called Where's Waldo? And Waldo is in a red and white striped shirt and you got to find him. It used to be where there was only one Waldo in that poster. Now with AI and everyone using AI for content creation, it looks like everyone's Waldo. They're pretty much the same. No one's really standing out. So you got to create content that's unique, that really stands out. And the way you do that is you talk about new stuff. Secondly, with SEO, SEO is adapting. It's not just SEO on Google or Bing. You know, TikTok, according to Google VP, TikTok and Instagram have quite a bit of searches and that's where young people are going to search now. There's search on booking.com and Airbnb when you're looking to travel. Search is everywhere. You need to optimize for all of it when it comes to SEO. You know, we've been getting hit up by people like I just got hit up by a girl named Iris. Iris has a company in Southeast Asia or she's part of a company. It's a large fintech and they're like, we want to hire you. We asked ChatGPT which agencies we should hire and yours was on the recommended list. You can optimize for SEO in many different ways that you couldn't before, which creates a ton of opportunity. It's changing at a rapid pace because of all the things I mentioned. How do you stay on top of all this stuff? Like I'm 35 now and I've had this kind of moments 
where I remember 10 years ago, I'd be the guy who knew the top technology. I knew the coolest tool. I knew about you and your cool features that you were releasing in those words, cutting edge for analytics and conversions. And so I would go into an organization. I'd be like, guys, look at all this cool new stuff that's going on. And more recently, now I'm realizing like, oh, some of the tools I'm using are actually considered old and dated and there's new kids on the block and people are showing me tech and I'm like, this is really impressive. And I'm like, oh my God, I think I'm slipping. How do you keep up with this new techs and the exciting features and platforms that are coming out? Keep experimenting and read a lot. Mm. If you were going to read, where do you suggest most people consume their reading material? Because there's a lot of garbage out there. Yeah, it depends on the industry. I think it's different for every industry, but I read some marketing websites. I read a lot of news websites too, like you know, uh, BBC, Bloomberg, CNBC, TechCrunch, sites like that. But there's sites within every single industry that you may want to check out, and that's the easiest way to learn more about whatever you're trying to learn. Do you like? Do you subscribe to RSS, or do you just have some tabs open? What's the Neil Patel Information Digest? They open up a new tab and type in a URL and go. <laughs> nice. A lot of the stuff that I see you've also developed are like a lot of some of these SaaS companies. I don't know if you're as active with building SaaSes and these technologies, but I would be curious to know. We don't build too many. We buy them more so than anything. We try to find existing ones that we can buy and fix them up and tweak them and make them better. So that brings me to the question of understanding how do you evaluate what kind of you know, platform to buy as a SaaS that you find would be exciting? Would you have some sort of like client feedback that comes in? Do you just keep a pulse on things? What's your process? We keep a pulse. We try to think about what would be good for us. And when I say good for us is who are their customers? Who are their users? What type of problems they use that solution for? And does it solve them? Looking at a lot of things like that will tell us, hey, this is a good company to buy or this is a bad company to buy. Mm. Look at their customer base. Is it our ideal customer base? Can we sell them? The person using that tool, is that the decision maker for who we're selling into? All that gives us insights on if we should acquire it. Hold on. This is really fascinating to me because you're not necessarily just focused on, oh, this is a cool technology that allows us to acquire new users. You look at the existing users and understand that there's opportunities to cross-sell and upsell your consulting services to an existing relationship. Is that it? Correct. That's genius. And that makes a lot of sense. I don't know if it's genius. People have been doing it for ages. You know, I wasn't the one to invent it, so I can't take the credit, but private equity companies have been doing this for a very, very long time. I find there's a big gap between what most people understand about this world and the people that are just knee deep into it see it as, hey, this is how it gets done all the time. Like most people don't have a pulse on how equity firms actually operate. And so the fact that you're in it and you're like, no, this is just how it's done. Most people listening are like, oh, wow, I thought it was just about the technology. But it sounds like the trust, the reputation are the most valuable things to acquire in a world that seems like nobody trusts each other and everyone has some dirt on them. <laughs> Yeah, and people learn from just doing something long enough, right? Mm, fair enough. I know that you've highlighted that you like spending time with your wife. You now have a child. Is this a new child in your life? No, no. I have uh, two kids, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Awesome. I'd be curious to know from kind of a productivity point of view, having children brought into your life, how do you feel it's impacted the way that you operate as a business owner? Productivity has gone down, work less, and spend more time with family. But yeah, overall, it's not too bad. 
I've often heard the feedback that once you have children, you have new priorities, but now that your time is more limited, you find yourself being more productive with the time you do have available. Have you noticed any of those changes for yourself? No, I was pretty productive with my time beforehand. <laughs> That's true. Neil, it's so fun to have a conversation with you. Right now, I know you've talked about how AI seems to be the thing that we should be paying a pulse about, but you talked also about having to use it right. What would be some of the things you would suggest for people to do if they want to become better at using this correctly? So the first thing is, is go look at all the AI tools out there and just try them out and make sure you're doing a way that's compliant with your corporate rules if you know your company has any rules. And then the second thing is, Encourage other team members and colleagues to also use them. And then the third thing is, is try to use it to create efficiencies and share that with your colleagues and they should share their learnings. And then you guys will figure out how to use it to actually improve what you're doing versus just using it and using it in ways that aren't really helping drive results. So what you're saying is the fact that I used ChatGPT to create a rap song for my villa was not productive. <laughs> it was not productive but it was fun. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. If you enjoy doing it, go for it. Yeah, I find that was kind of the first. It reminds me of the whole Instagram, you know, when that started, people taking pictures of their food, right? And obviously Instagram was not a food-taking platform, but it evolved into something that, you know, businesses, we started looking and we're like, hey, we can reach new customers. We can find new clients. This is great. But the fact that you could go in and dabble play with it, even at the beginning, gave you some level of familiarity. And I'd say those first early adopters who posted pictures of their food became some of the first people to be influencers, became some of the first people to have social media agencies and might have been able to convert their familiarity with the tools. And so I like that you're taking, telling us to go and dabble with the AI tools, because even if you're just you know playing around, then you can quickly convert into how do I optimize? How do I find new opportunities? How do I get more curious about that? And I do agree that... Uh, hey, it's going to change a lot of stuff. I know for myself, I've been using it just in my small organization and it's just been doing some wonders. Now you are on the Selling with Love podcast, Neil, and I know you said that you don't really embrace the salesperson within yourself, but I still have to ask, what was Selling with Love mean to Neil Patel? Selling with Love to me means selling something that you believe in and knowing that it's going to help the other person solve their problems and create the outcome that they are desiring. Awesome. Yeah. Problem focus is always one that I want to make sure that people do focus on. Neil, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for bringing on some insights when it comes to how do we solve problems for larger organizations. The big takeaways I've gotten from you here is just understanding that if I'm going for large corporations, understand that it's a very long deal cycle, but the payouts are big. You need to have reputation. You need to have at least good relationships. So if you're someone that naturally wants to nurture those, or you're in a position where you can acquire companies that have existing relationships, you can look at opportunities to cross-sell, upsell. This could be a potential venture. You can also hire people who have been in your space for a long time, and usually people bring a lot of relationships. That's how a lot of companies get into those big deals is they hire it. They're hiring people who have been in the space for 15, 20 years, and over time, people just know that they do good work, and they reach out to them when they need more help. Well, let me just open this. I was going to wrap up, but let me ask you, if I am going to hire somebody, how do I make sure that they do have a good reputation? That's easy. Look for people who work for your competition. You can see that on LinkedIn. Look for people who have continually gotten promoted because that means they're doing a good job. You can see that on LinkedIn if they got promoted. And look for people who have amazing references and our culture fits. And if they've climbed the ranks and they know how to solve the problems that you're 
facing your organization, they can usually solve it for you. And they usually have a lot of connections because they've been in the industry for a long time. They continually got promoted, which means the company found them valuable and their customers found them valuable as well. How do you get them to be excited about coming to work for you as opposed to stay where they are? Offer them more money, equity, make a better pitch. Hopefully your company's more sexy and they want to work for you, but that one's a hard one. And the reason being is you can't just convince someone to leave. It it takes time to convince them. You got to build that relationship and you got to show them what you're doing is amazing and it's a better opportunity for them. Where should people go if they want to continue tapping into your mind to discover more about the world that you live in? Aside from going to MP Digital to see your products and services that you do offer, I noticed you were active on Twitter. Is that the main channel you suggest people to check you out? Twitter or just my blog, neilpatel.com. All right. Neil, thank you so much for your time for joining me on the show. Everybody, go and check out neilpatel.com. There's so many tools that you can use within your organization and so much amazing insights. The man is always producing high-quality content. If you're looking to get more revenue, get more traffic, convert, understand your analytics more, this man is a legend in the field that will make sure that you are well-equipped with the right knowledge that actually works. Neil, thank you so much again for your time. It was a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.